Well, if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles or your phones or whatever you have um, to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be reading the first two verses. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. So from Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. Would you open our hearts? Would you speak to us today? Um, Help us to believe more. Help us to believe for the first time. Uh, We thank you for giving us this word today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a joy to uh, join you this morning. Um, As Dave said, he and I go way back uh, to when we were in seminary together. Um, and it, it's a joy to, to be here. I wish your other pastors were here too, um, because I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know these guys. Um, I'm a, a pastor in the Central Florida Presbytery with Dave and with Jeff and Joe, um, and I really value their relationship and what they do uh, for you pastorally as well. And so I have a, a love for this church uh, in ways that are unseen in a lot of ways because I can't uh, be here very often. Um, and I just wanted to share very, very briefly um, how God is at work in RUF uh, at the University of Central Florida. As David said, 66,000 students is a daunting mission field. Uh, it's a lot of people, um, but there are just some beautiful ways that the Lord has opened the door. Uh, this is the 12th year that RUF has been um, at UCF, and uh, we've seen some some really great Uh, things happen through this ministry. Um, Students coming to know the Lord for the first time, uh, students who are still in the church in large part because of RUF, students who have decided to go into full-time vocational ministry um, have have seen how their work itself can be uh, impactful for the kingdom and how they've uh, been able to draw uh, people into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, One of the things that we talk about is reaching students through students. Um, and so that's really my desire is to, is to encourage and fill students with the gospel, with Jesus, to walk with them uh, so that they can do a lot of the work, uh, so they can sit with their friend at 2 a.m. at Waffle House and encourage them. Um, th- this ministry is also 100% fundraised, and um, Orangewood is a participating church, but I would love to talk with you after the service um, about how you can partner with us. Uh, and be part of, of this ministry uh, at the University of Central Florida. This passage in Hebrews chapter 12 is really close to my heart. Um, I don't look like, and I don't want you to imagine me with short shorts on, but when I was in college, um, I ran cross country and track, and um, I, I did many a 6 a.m. workouts, um, and it was, it was a, a love of mine, but the Lord really took hold of my life when I was in college and, um, and helps me understand his gospel for the first time in, in a lot of ways. Um, and my, my life was also redirected because of it. <clears throat> I went from wanting to, <clears throat> desiring to be an orthopedic surgeon and going towards a career in medicine 
to really kind of last minute being redirected uh, into ministry. And it's a joy to be able to share the good news about Jesus with students uh, and to see students who, like myself or my good friends, were changed because of it. Um, and so it, it's, it, it almost makes me think of college uh, in a lot of ways, which is, which is super exciting. But this passage is also important because even though there's a lot of racing illustration uh, given here, it's, it's for us who come in and we're worn out and we can barely get to church. Um, or if you have young kids, you know how difficult, it seems like Sunday is uh, to get out the door, to bring the kids, uh, to do everything that needs to happen. Um, so this, is, this passage is for all of us. Uh, it's for anyone who, who needs to recognize uh, that Jesus ought to be the center of our life. Um, and the Hebrew people, this is written to a group of Jewish people who had been cut off from the bigger Jewish uh, community. Um, they, had, they, they had known persecution from their friends and from their family. Um, they had seen the separation between siblings, between parents and child. Um, and, and they were worn out and they were tired and they were weary. Um, and this author is actually causing them, he, he's calling them, to fix their eyes on Jesus, on the center of their faith, um, which was very vital for them. And, and it's probably vital for many of us coming in here today uh, to, to consider everything that has happened in your life, um, but that that is not the ultimate thing that we ought to focus our life on. Um, the writer wants us to understand that our faith, like the Hebrew people, is rooted firmly in enduring a life lived for Jesus. Um, as we jump into this text, we need to understand that Hebrews 11 talks about these big giant heroes of the faith, right? It goes through the people that would have been written of in the Old Testament. Uh, all of these faithful people, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, all of these men and even the women that had faithfully uh, endured in their life. And yet it, it, it seats them kind of like this in a crowd looking around, looking at the, the life that we are um, living, and they are actually witnesses to what you and I are doing by living a faithful life. So I want you to have that image in your mind of a coliseum or a race, uh, like a cross-country type race, and seeing those people that are witnessing what is happening uh, in your life. And so patiently enduring has... has to really kind of three things that are a part of it. The first is that we ought to run well in this life. Secondly, that we need to look in the proper direction. We need to fix our gaze on Jesus. And then lastly, we'll just tie it up by saying that there's hope in spite of struggle uh, in your life. And so running well, the author says that we ought to lay aside every weight and, sing with, and sin, which clings so closely to us and run the race with endurance. Sin, which clings so closely. He notes that every person has sinfulness that actually inhibits their relationship with God. Um, and th this is a very common thing, but it, it, is said, it is stated so succinctly in this chapter, in, the, in this passage. Um, I want you to have this image of a person wearing really nice clothing. And in ancient Greece, it would have been uh, having a tunic 
that is long and flowing, um, but where that, like the clothing is all you can see. And so you can look at me and consider someone who is dressed nicely, because I don't usually dress this way, especially when I'm on the college campus. Um, and and there, there is an impression that I'm giving off, but there are things that you cannot see underneath me. Uh, there, there could be a huge scar that I have underneath um, in, in my forearm that you couldn't see. Or I, I could be hiding things. I don't know what I would hide, but I could be hiding things underneath uh, my clothing. And so th- this is meant to um, invoke this idea of us looking good, looking nice in front of other people, and yet hiding who we really are. Uh, covering up the sins that witnesses around us may see, those people that, that know us really well. And yet the Lord knows us intimately. God actually knows you um, very specifically. And so we need to talk about hidden or besetting sins in our life. Um, hidden or besetting sin, in other words, sin that, that we are hiding from one another or sins that we are just continue to struggle with. And often those are sins that not everyone knows about. Um, they can be kept in, in secrets. Inhibit us from having uh, the best spiritual action, from, from having uh, the fullest relationship with Jesus that we could have. Um, and, and really what these sins cause us to do is actually to look at ourselves and either to shame ourselves, find guilt, beat ourselves up. Um, and, and it prevents us from running a race well. Um, when, you're, when you're running a race and you're constantly looking down, you're actually not able to run well. That's just kind of logical. Uh, and, and that's essentially what, this, um, what, what is being said here. And so should we really trust in our own human intuition? Should we even trust in validation from people around us uh, to give us hope and to give us enough energy to be able to um, live a good life? Well, m- many of us <clears throat> ask the question when we're considering how best to live, um, or the Bible would say living a righteous life. Um, why does it matter? What's the point? It's not like, you know, all of you are going around and following me everywhere. It's not like I really have to uh, do the right things. And this is such a strong American ideal because we love individualism. We love to be able to do whatever we want to do and uh, to not have consequences, but also to um, you know, to justify what, what happens in our life. Um, and it's really striking when it affects other people, when, when your actions affect other people. I, I got into this show last year uh, called Last Chance You. It's on Netflix. Um, and it's a story about these, the, it's a story about a football team uh, at East Mississippi Community College in this town called Scuba with two O's, Scuba. Um, and it's a just tiny, tiny, think of it, the tiniest deep south town you can think of, and that's Scuba, Mississippi. And in this town, there's East Mississippi Community College. And it is the last stop, really, for kids who want to play college football in a competitive way, or students that have been kicked out of another school because they've, they've done, you know, bad things, they've broken the rules, whatever's happened. So this is their last chance uh, to get to come back. And so they always highlight about a handful of players. And in this past season, they highlight a student named Cam Carter, who 
was at Penn State in 2015 uh, as a football player and then got busted with marijuana twice. And, um, you know, he, he was frustrated that he got busted and frustrated that he got kicked out. But it really hit him when his little brother, who was 11 years old, called him and in, with tears said, how could you do this? How could you do this? How, like, I, I just don't understand and he was so hurt and so crushed because he saw his brother's dreams uh, go away. He saw the fact that uh, he had so much good that he could offer and, and yet um, he had failed. And so there, the, we get this image of, of, of a cloud of witnesses uh, and the fact that our sin does affect other people. And so one of the more harmful things that I could do right now is uh, to go through a laundry list of the ways that we all sin um, and to go row by row, right? That would, that would be easy, um, but it would be incredibly harmful. And I bet you, if you're honest, you've probably heard preachers that have done that before and it hasn't felt really good or it's felt really good because you know that you can shame somebody that was there or somebody that needs to hear it. Um, but instead, we need to understand that there is actually a God-centered rhythm that most of us don't live. Um, That there is a rhythmic part of our life that directs us to Jesus, that directs us to running the race uh, that most of us just fail to do because we allow things that cling to us control us. Um, And so I just made up a list of things that tend to cling to me and I hope that they'll have some kind of application for you. Um, number one is my phone. I just love knowing where my phone is all the time. It pained me to have to put it on do not disturb mode while I was preaching. Uh, it pained me to not have it with me. Um, it is like an attachment. And I, I, I want to say this too. Parents, if you have kids, this is not a time to like look over and to shame your kid because I, I, I would guess that you probably have as much of a problem with your phone as your kid does. Um, We are so attached to what is on our phones and it gives us pleasure and it gives us delight and it gives us an identity too. Um, What if that wasn't the case? What if we could trust in something bigger than just the momentary little ways that we can be satisfied by our phones? Um, other things, attempts to control the future or a current relationship. Um, looking at those things that you can accomplish and just being completely wrapped up in them. Um, pining after future success, what, what could happen? What about that next job? What about um, after I get this degree, what I can do with it? Or for many of us, glorifying the past successes Um, glorifying what I did when I was in college or when I was in that job that I really loved um, and looking back at those things. Um, What we see when things cling to us and when when we begin to recognize them, we can actually begin to take them off. We can begin to make them where they don't have as much importance to us. And so we can actually live a better life because we can run better. We can run a more full life. Um, and you, you probably will recognize that some irritation and frustration uh, begins to leave you because you're not 
trying to juggle this little idol in God. Um, you, can, you can let the idol sit for a minute. Um, so how do we run better then, you might ask? You have to train. There's a, there's a training process. And a part of training, really the, the essential thing in training is to know God. Uh, we have to know why uh, we must look to Jesus. And so we find this in verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hands of the throne of God. This is pretty much an essential doctrine, idea, however you want to say it, of the Christian faith. The Christian faith, really the entire Bible is pointing to a statement like this. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So there, there's, there's three things in looking to Jesus. Uh, and really we have to ask, why are we looking to Jesus? So the three things are because he's the founder and perfecter, because he sacrificed willingly, and because he is glorified. Um, Jesus is the founder and perfecter. Jesus was there from the beginning of the universe, beginning of the world. He has been with us. Um, Jesus is, is, is the I am, uh, as it says in John. Um, he has always been there. He has always been pursuing his people. And he pursued it perfectly in, in coming to this earth in a human form. Because he lived a perfect life that you or I couldn't. Um, we are sinful beings and we have, we have sin wrapped up in, in, our, in, in who we are. And so we could not live perfectly. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to die. He had to be buried. He had to be raised again. He is our perfection. He accomplished what you and I could not do as the founder and the perfecter of faith. He also sacrificed himself willingly. This is so important for us to realize that it, that Jesus was actually driven by joy to do that. He was driven um, by joy because he realized that he had to come here to win this kingdom back. He had to come to the earth in order to suffer and die for his people. And this idea of being joyful is so vital for us because you, think of this, okay? Jesus was well acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows, it says. And yet, he also bore our sins that we might be healed, which is what Isaiah 53 says, right? So he, was, he, he understood that there was a joy that must drive him in order to, to suffer and die. And the reason for that joy is this, because he could provide a way for us not to be separated from him. Think of that. He came for a relationship with us. He came because he wanted to lay down his life for us so that we could be brought back to him. He's also glorified. He's seated at the place of the honor, uh, of honor at the father's right hand. Um, and so this Jesus is the one who we look at who is holy. He is holy. He is perfected. And yet he is approachable because he has experienced the same things that you and I have. And let me say this, this joy that was given, that Jesus had in his life, 
This is also available to us because we recognize that not only are we, are, are we living in a world um, where there is, is, is calamity, there's sin, uh, but that we have hope because Jesus has died for us. So we may, we may look to Jesus and we may recognize that he's seated at the right hand of God and have, and have great hope and great joy in our life. Um, one of the big stumbling blocks that happens in the church is um, because a lot, of, a lot of people, and I get this question a lot from students, is they ask, why, why do churches care so much about silly things, right? Uh, like time of the service, um, like the, the carpets, you know, silly things like that, design of a building, whatever it may be. Um, but it hurts students the most, not when those things are, you know, debated over, but when they see ministry heroes fall. Um, I get this a lot. And much of our ministry is, I, I would say about half of our students are ones that come from churches, come from very faithful churches like Orangewood. And a lot of students are really struggling. They see, um, they, they see good things in other types of religions or in other ideas. And they're thinking, should I really be devoted to this thing? Should I really be devoted to Jesus? Should I even be involved with his people? Um, and so they see the fact that maybe a friend of theirs who was a youth pastor or an elder or someone like that fell into some sin. Um, sexual sin or gambling or whatever it is. And, and they just struggle to believe in what that same person believed. Um, another image and another question is, what if our denominational differences could be reconciled? That we have probably thousands of denominations in the US, uh, thousands of different ways that Christian people are separated from one another. What, what if there is an opportunity for we as Christians to actually uh, commune with one another? This has been a great joy for me um, because at, on UCF's campus, there's only about 2% of the student population that's connected to anything that's Christian or campus ministry-like. 2%. I was just telling somebody earlier, imagine being in an average classroom, I'd say is about 200. Four people would be, a Christ, would, would be Christians in that setting four people in a, in a room of 200 people. That's not very many at all. And so there, I, I've really recognized a need to actually be connected with other people uh, doing ministry as well as other students. And it's given me great joy. I participated about a year and a half ago in a Lent service, a Lenten service with the Episcopalian ministry. And it, w- it was one of the most difficult things because as a Presbyterian minister, as someone who's been through seminary, I know a lot, just to put that out there. Um, but so, some of you could school me. Let me, let me put it that way. Um, but I, I have a very clear idea of what I, I feel like is biblical and what I feel like is true. And you have someone coming from a different um, tradition who um, offered different things as well as different verbiage. And I spent, we spent a lot of time really going back and forth on how we could make this happen. Um, and I, I walked away in a couple of days. I just prayed that the Lord would, would help me understand what to do. And my friend, Jose, who's Episcopalian minister, um, he essentially said one thing that changed it all. He said, 
we're pleading for the same thing. We want students on this campus to hope in Jesus, and we want to offer a service to them. And as a Presbyterian minister, I um, was humbled. I recognized that I needed to uh, lay down my defensiveness uh, for a minute. And so we, as people who love Jesus, need to continually focus on Jesus or else we'll get wrapped up into all kinds of um, squibbles about doctrine, um, issues with people because they believe one thing differently than, than we do. And, and we can just divide. We can separate as the broader church. Um, we need to look to Jesus in order to, to value diversity, in order to value people who um, look differently than us. Uh, we need to be willing to ask someone who is from a completely different cultural context um, what it is like for them to follow Jesus and to recognize that there are essentials that we need to follow, but also to value their own experience and their own um, relationship with the Lord. Um, he died for both of us so that we were sanctified, uh, so that we could be sanctified over time, so that we could grow and be nourished in a relationship with him. Um, we, we need to understand that Christianity, like the, sometimes the media might try to uh, portray is not some kind of white man's religion or some kind of deep South religion or backwoods religion. That it's, it's a worldwide religion where Jesus as a Middle Eastern man actually went to the cross for those whom he would never personally meet in a human level. Um, people like you and I, that he, he was actually going to reach the United States of America. Um, that, that should just be profound for us. Looking to Jesus actually enables us to be more patient on one another. Um, it, allows, it, it allows you to consider in your mind the person you would think is the most sanctified, most holy person in this room, and to be able to be okay when they're not perfect. Um, that can be really hard. We can sometimes have this about our parents or about that elder that we really respect. And, and I'll tell you the, the people that get it the worst are the pastors in places like this. The pastors feel such pressure and they know that they're going to be um, riddled with shame if they, if they mess up even a word uh, on a sermon like this. It gives us hope in incredibly difficult situations. Looking to Jesus allows us to, when things like what happened in Houston, where people's homes get flooded, where entire neighborhoods are washed away, I heard that half a million cars were totaled. I mean, you essentially have nothing then. Um, looking to Jesus actually allows you to realize that there's something worth living for. There, there is something that you have um, that, that, that is rich, um, and that's Jesus. Hoping in, in Jesus for future glory uh, is essentially where we're, we're, we're gonna leave off here today. Um, if we were to jump into verse three, the author of Hebrews says that um, we, he, he says these things so that we may not grow faint-hearted or weary. And there's really a lot that can be added here. And maybe, you know, Dave will get up here and preach another sermon after I finish. I'm just kidding. We won't, we won't keep you here any longer. Um, 
but it's so easy in the midst of pain and sorrow and tiredness, just being exhausted to want to quit, to want to move away, um, to, to, I've recognized this a lot here for, for someone just to want to ease out of, of any kind of relationship, of any kind of, um, especially relationship with the church, um, to not want to just leave it and, and to not have any um, relationship with anyone else. And so it's easy for us to quit when things are hard. Um, it's, it would be easy for the people in Houston to quit uh, because everything is gone. Um, or to be perpetually frustrated or angry. Um, over the past 20 years, I've seen so many opportunities where the Lord has used a tragedy in order to create revival for his people. Um, I'm a fellow Texan, and I, I'm going to be praying for that for the people of Houston and in, that, in Southeast Texas, um, because it would be beautiful to see. And there, there are so many ways that this has happened. One of those was Emmanuel Church uh, back in 2015. I'm sure uh, you all remember this is the church in Charleston, South Carolina, where a young man named Dylan Roof walked in. Um, He sat through a Bible study for about an hour um, of this historically black church. Um, As soon as the the Bible study was over, he he opened fire and killed nine people. Um, He was swiftly arrested and, um, and took to jail. But I mean, this kind of thing is just absolutely abominable. Absolutely abominable. Christians should not die in a church setting. I think we can, we can agree with that. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but the Friday after it happened, there's this really unusual law in South Carolina where the person who, who did the crime actually has to face the families of the people who uh, were victims. And so nine representatives came to the courthouse and um, several stood up to, to say something. And the first woman stands up and softly through tears, she says, I forgive you. Um, I mean, and then she, she begged him to repent and to believe in Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, a, a, a woman who was present at the church to see her 20-something-year-old son die, uh, stands up, um, and you can just tell that she is riddled with grief. I mean, all over her face and her body. And she says, we invited you into our meeting. And then later on, she says, we will invite you again. We invited you into the meeting and we will invite you again. Um, I was completely blown away because Dylan Roof came into that building to disrespect those people essentially to disrespect Jesus um, and, and created such a mess. And yet what, what their hearts were saying was, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know why we have so much hope. And that is the gospel, my friends, is patiently enduring, looking to Jesus. But it's not logical. It's amazing and it is rich and it is free and it is proof that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. One self-proclaimed non-Christian got up on CNN uh, later that day and said that that was the best advertisement that he had ever seen uh, for Christianity. And truly, when when people are curious about why um, you are the way you are, why you're grieving for someone else, or why um, you care so much about their salvation, 
they begin to ask questions. The Savior who redeems this church and her members uh, will make all things new in spite of crazy stuff, in spite of evil that happens. Uh, and so if, you're, if you hear nothing else today, if you're just checking in to the service, your only hope is to look to Jesus. Um, and as the song said, sometimes looking to Jesus is through tears. Sometimes looking to Jesus is dancing. Sometimes it is walking. Sometimes it is crawling. But fix your gaze upon Jesus. And this is both an invitation to the person that is not a Christian, that does not know him right now. It is, all you need to do is recognize your inability to, to fix yourself, uh, your inability to save yourself and to cry out to Jesus. And it's also for the Christian, it's an opportunity to refocus, refix your eyes on Jesus. Put away some of those things that cling to you. Patiently endure with one another Fix your eyes on Jesus, friends. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us the eyes to see, the heart to know you? Um, would you, would you make us um, to desire to look to you? Um, would we see the things in this world? and recognize that they are nothing compared to you. Uh, Change our hearts that we may walk in the assurance and knowledge that you are our God and that we are your people, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.